Chapter Nine of Souls for Sale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Souls for Sale by Rupert Hughes. Chapter Nine. Viva was still talking when the waiter came through again with his proclamation: First call for dinner in dining car. First call for dinner in dining car. There was a scurry among the passengers, and Mem was eager to go, but Viva could not break off the story she was telling. Suddenly she stopped, stared, seized Mem's arm, and whispered, Pipe what's comin'. Mem piped, a dramatic woman of singularly noble face and figure, and somewhat grandiose carriage. Following her was an elegant gentleman of a certain exoticism, a bit peevish over the bad manners the train displayed in tossing him to and fro. "'You know who that is?' Viva whispered, and did not stay for an answer. "'That dame is the great Miriam Yore. She's been the grand slam at the Metropolitan Opera for years. And the flossy guy with her is that big English author. What's his name? You know he wrote, "'Oh, all them books.' They're bound for movie land, too. Everybody's making that way. The competition is something fierce. Her voice died as the two drifted down the aisle, pausing to talk in snatches between dashes for the next leaning post. As the train swung the great Miriam half across Mem's seat, the author was saying, Everybody tells me that Los Angeles is absolutely. Then they were gone reawakening in mem her desire to learn just what this fabulous city could be absolutely the return of viva's husband released her to her own thoughts for the rest of the evening viva introduced the partner of her fate and her dances and hurried away to the women's room to wash up for the eats her husband said a few amiable nothings to mem but she was afraid to look at him he cyril nay julius was ordinary enough in speech and appearance. But Mem could only see him as the panther-pelted satyr who took the public absolutely into his confidence and swung his half-stripped wife aloft for all the world to see. After dinner, Mem found her way to the observation car and sat on the platform a while, watching the dark world of her past, fleeing backward to the horizon and vanishing thence into the stars but her interests were no longer backward. She wanted to look ahead. She rose from the contemplation of night and re-entered the car. Noting that the writing desk was not in use, she was reminded of her task. She sat down and began a letter home. Her heart, weary with the day's excursions, melted again toward her mother and father. She wrote them a prattle of childish enthusiasm about the journey. She did not mention Viva or the others, she was afraid they would frighten her parents as much as they had frightened her, and not so agreeably. She had finished her letter and was sealing it when she suddenly remembered Dr. Bretherick's prescription. She was to take a lover on the first day. The very name of the figment of Bretherick's mania had been crowded out of her mind by these curious, unbelievable people who actually moved and breathed. After a little groping, she recalled Woodbury then Woodhouse, then Woodville. She took up the painful composition of a postscript with all the agony of an author, trying to recall 
and to originate at the same time. She had mentioned nobody that she had met. Now she must describe the important man that she would never meet. He was an imaginary and therefore a quite perfect character. She finally wrote, Oh, I forgot. Who do you suppose I ran into on the train? You'd never guess in a million years. You know when I went to Carthage to take care of Aunt Mabel. Well, do you remember me telling you about the awfully nice man I met at church? Mr. Woodville was his name, remember? Well, would you believe it, he is on this train. Isn't it a small world? He has been most kind and polite. I met him in church, as you remember, and somehow I feel much safer not being alone. I'm sure you'll be glad. He's very religious, but awfully nice. I mean, so, of course, awfully nice. Good night again, you darlings. Being told that they recollected Mr. Woodville, her parents obligingly remembered him. Mrs. Steddon had been warned of this fiction and collaborated in it. Dr. Steddon was one of those who believe almost anything they read, especially when they hope for its truth. And there was nothing he hoped for so much as that his child should meet a good man and love him and be loved by him. That is the parental ideal. And Mem could have sent him no other message that could have so comforted him. He awaited the second installment of her romance with all the impatience of a countryman watching for the stagecoach that brought along Charles Dickinson's serials piecemeal. He knew nothing of the wiles of story-makers, and did not suspect the trap his child was laying for him. Her name should have been Sapphira. End of chapter 9 Recording by Deanna Beauvais